with its situation on the ground with the Russia-Ukraine war on its seventh day. Who is having the upper hand? Where is the war going? Two military experts will share their observation and opinion. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Win Kathy Show. Today, it will be myself, since the way is still on the way back into uh, San Francisco. So, the Russia-Ukraine war has entered its seventh day. Russia has not accomplished its original goal of quick victory, even though it commands a military that is uh, five to ten times stronger than that of Ukraine. As of now, we know that uh, Ukraine has not lost any large city. The only city it has lost is uh, the medium-sized one called uh, uh, Kherson in the south, with a population closer to 300,000 people. However, all major Ukrainian cities are either under siege or face fierce bombard uh, bombardment. At this point, there is an intense battle around uh, uh, Kharkiv, the largest city in the east, and a 50-mile military convoy moving towards Ukraine, capital Kiev. Thousands of people, both soldiers and civilians, have uh, perished in the war, and this is the first major war in Europe after World uh, War II. So what is the situation on the ground right now? Who is having the upper hand? Would Ukraine be able to hold or not? So uh, the, where the war is going? Tonight, I will have two special guests who are military experts to share their observation and opinion with you. Our first guest is uh, retired Colonel John Mills, he is the former director of cybersecurity policy, strategy, and international affairs at the Department of Defense. Uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Mills is a national security professional with service in five eras Cold War, Peace Dividend, War on Terror, World in Chaos, and now Great Power Competition. He is currently a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. And then our second guest, retired Lieutenant Colonel Young Mabry. He served in the United, uh, U.S. Air Force for 28 years, from 1979 to 2007. Then he retired and returned to Arizona, where he was born and raised as a farmer. Now, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry is running for the U.S. House of Representatives to represent uh, Arizona's sixth uh, district. So, first of all, I ask uh, retired uh, Colonel John Mills, how does he read the situation as of today? Yeah, Kathy, it's still uh, a, a not clear in a lot of ways. Um, the uh, uh, again, we're approximately at almost uh, day six, day seven uh, of this operation. Um, and uh, still, although um, Kiev was, was only roughly 50 miles from uh, the border, um, 
they still with Belarus, they uh, Russian and, and I uh, believe Belarus has essentially been told to participate. Uh, they still have not achieved a complete encirclement or even a decisive approach to uh, the city. So um, uh, uh, puzzling a bit here. Uh, this is not a rapid advance due to the, the, the lack of air power on the, uh, on the uh, Ukrainian side, uh, this would be horrific, uh, horrifically bad uh, because of all the, uh, what we would call column formation, where essentially all the tanks, artillery and trucks are essentially on roads in a linear fashion, which is, uh, that is, that's called a lunch or a good target. And, uh, so is it supply problems? It's, it's unclear, uh, but also what's also baffling as, as with the, the absence of the uh, Ukrainian, which they only have about 90 what we would call fighter jets. Um, uh, the Russians, who supposedly have a lot more, uh, their absence has been uh, quite puzzling and confusing. Um, this is, uh, you know, that was supposed to be one of the decisive advantages of the Russian force was the uh, was their air force. And according to a lot of reports, it really has not been decisively present. So a little bit of confused, a confusing situation. Why haven't the air forces of both sides uh, been decisively engaged? The reporting still is a bit spotty on this, uh, but it's uh, it's very very unclear. And again, the the Russian columns uh, they are very vulnerable as they stand. There have been some strikes against them with uh, drones, uh, most likely uh, armed drones, most likely received from Turkey. Uh, the United States uh, still has a lot of controls over who gets armed drones. Uh, I believe Taiwan has received armed drones. Uh, there's just a handful of countries that, that receive the armed drone variants. So um, very unclear what's going on. It's very, uh, uh, the, the, I mean, there has been there has been violence. There has been contact. There has been uh, deaths on both sides. Uh, probably in the thousands, uh, but uh, it's it's very puzzling uh, what's going on. Right, so just as um, Colonel Mills mentioned, that uh, there are 40 miles along of a Russian column uh, leading up to Kiev, but uh, it's just kind of uh, a state there. So what's really going on with this uh, column? So I think we can kind of see and we can see deep and see not just the initial columns, but also behind what's going on. You know, well, we're also hearing a little bit about some infighting. Gerasimov, the senior, uh, you know, essentially that would be our I mean, general Milley equivalent. General Gerasimov, there's uh, potentially some friction between him and uh, Putin. So uh, what kind of infight between Putin and uh, General uh, well, I mean, I, I think in some ways uh, they're not happy. The Russian military has been underfunded for years and is nothing like what it used to be as far as size. But even, even back when it was big, uh, the Russians were very sloppy on maintenance and logistics. Uh, you know, that's, that was what happened in Afghanistan. They, it was pretty aggressive. They pushed in, but they, they were very... It, they were very challenged to logistically sustain their forces in Afghanistan. Same in 
Same thing has happened in Syria. Um, uh, the Russians, although they were trying to throw all their weight and support in uh, uh, with the uh, uh, Assad regime, they just were constantly struggling to logistically resupply the actual Soviet, uh, 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 or Russian, excuse me, forces in Syria and their Syrian allies. So uh, continual challenge uh, and lack of art form on the Russian side for logistic sustainment. You know, if Putin tried to move to replace Gerasimov, um, I don't think that would turn out well for Putin. And because uh, Gerasimov, I think, would have the strong support of the armed forces. This slow motion war uh, minus an air force on both sides is uh, very puzzling. There definitely is conflict, um, uh, but the, the Russian columns seem to be undersupplied. Uh, there almost seems to be more activity um, uh, in uh, uh, toward Kharkiv, uh, Kharkov, uh, to the uh, 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 to the east, uh, and that's where. Uh, Russian forces have come down from Kursk and um, other places where they've assembled. And uh, uh, there almost seems to be more activity and fighting uh, near, near, near Kharkov. But this is beginning to look like what the Donbass region, Luhansk and Donetsk, have looked like for years. Um, so uh, uh, has been essentially a stalemate and a standoff with no neither side being able to achieve real dominance. So um, in the south, uh, some forces have pushed up from Crimea, um, uh, uh, but and a lot of that was to uh, uh, secure uh, uh, fresh water and drinking, drinking water. Um, so uh, but I think in many ways, and this is also reminding me of Bosnia. Uh, this reminded me a lot of Bosnia in uh, when I where I was at for a year. Uh, the uh, Bosnia was uh, the Serb side, which was supported by the Russians, uh, really didn't have enough force structure. They were heavily armed, but th there just wasn't enough of them to decisively uh, move see and seize terrain against the, uh, the, the, the Bosnian population uh, was, was larger, uh, but less well armed. And it was really a state, it, it developed rapidly into a stalemate. And that's essentially what we're seeing now with little raids from the occupied enclaves but uh, by Russian forces. But um, I think in many ways, the maneuver element of this, of this conflict is kind of, you know, essentially the stalemate and the, and the uh, lines of control and zones of separation are essentially being established. I'm not sure how much further the Russians are going to be able to push. Then on the Ukraine side, if uh, in, in terms of the 40 miles long of the Russian uh, column, uh, the convoy, uh, if Ukraine is able to use the Air Force, it will be a natural, uh, you know, seems very, um, it will make sense just for the Ukraine to use the Air Force to attack the column, it will be very effective. So why Ukraine um, is not using the Air Force. Uh, so I asked uh, Col uh, Colonel John Mills to explain a little bit more. They only have roughly 90 fighters. I don't know how many survived the initial strikes. The Russians are smart enough that they probably in their initial strikes last Wednesday, um, essentially we're, we're day seven, but last Wednesday, probably that was one of the first things that they did was go after 
those 90 aircraft on the runway. I don't really have a, a good uh, number of how many survived. I mean, the Russians were, were, were normally pretty good about building what we call hardened aircraft shelters so that when the aircraft's on the ground, it's inside a concrete reinforced building. So it can't be uh, easily uh, uh, strafed or bombed or, uh, or, or destroyed. Uh, so I don't know how many of those Ukrainian night, roughly 90 fighters survived the first night. Uh, I'm sure the, the, they were dispersed, meaning instead of keeping them all at uh, a major base, that they would send them out to smaller airfields. Um, some of these aircraft, like the MiG-29, which uh, is, a, is an advanced aircraft, I don't know how good that is for direct air support and, and, and conducting an attack on a column of tanks, which is how this, the Russians are essentially are, are on the roads right now. So uh, I don't know how much of the ordnance, that means bombs, that um, the uh, Ukrainians have, so they could drop bombs. I, I just don't know, you know, what what was their provision of ordnance and bombs, uh, you know, because that's also another target is where you store those bombs uh, are all, is also a target. So, you know, the reporting is uh, not not uh, good on this so far, uh, as far as, you know, some of these basic questions. So on the uh, Russian side, why is the slow motion war? What does that tell uh, about Russia? Uh, I just don't know if the Russians have yet as achieved enough force with uh, uh, that, that is supported with food, water, fuel, ammunition, that they're able to really get a, it does not appear, and now some, some Russian propagandists have said that Kiev is cut off and surrounded. Um, I think that's a, that's a bit of a stretch. Um, it seems like there's some, there is definitely from the north, maybe some from the east, uh, you know, some Russian forces, but I don't think they've achieved a, uh, if this is encirclement of Kiev, it's not working out well for the Russians. So uh, the West has committed to provide military aids to Ukraine, including $350 uh, including $350 million from the United States. But should the Russians encircle Kyiv, would that prevent the West's aid, including weapons and ammo, from reaching Kyiv? Is encircling an effective strategy? Uh, they're spending a lot of, a lot of their, their military uh, army force on surrounding Kyiv, and they haven't done that yet. So uh, Ukraine is a fairly large country. It's the second largest in Europe outside of Russia itself. So there's still a lot of terrain that the Russians have not occupied yet. Uh, so there's still a lot of free uh, Ukraine. And uh, so uh, even if they encircled Ukraine, uh, there'd be a, a, a lot of terrain where the Ukrainians can uh, be resupplied, uh, can organize and resist. So Putin um, said that uh, they have put their strategic nuclear force on alert. And uh, the Russian foreign minister said that uh, the Third World War will be nuclear. So what do you make of it? 
that's a very concerning development. This is something I think I've mentioned before that we've both on our side and on the Russian side, there was a, a much larger stockage of, of nuclear bombs and missiles, uh, but the training and readiness levels were much higher. So right now, um, um, it's a bit rusty on both the Russian side and the American side, but him, him saying that is very concerning. I think it's also that reflects their frustration with their, their conventional ground force, and, and it's not been successful so far. Um, so uh, this is very, very, cons you know, concerning that he would elevate it to nuclear. Also, you know, receiving reports uh, in Kharkiv, use of Russian paratroopers, you know, so they, there's been seems to be more fighting in Kharkov. But, um, you know, I think the paratroopers means that they're, they're trying to reinforce success there. And because uh, uh, they, they have a, a limited number of troops that are trained to jump out and parachute from airplanes. Um, and it's usually considered kind of their elite forces. Uh, they're very effective, but they have to be resupplied quickly or they will be out of food and gas and ammunition real quick. So um, Colonel John Mills basically saying that uh, this war is really turning into a stalemate and uh, it's being it's entering into the seventh day but uh, for the last five days the Russians have not really made much uh, progress uh, for the you know the last five days basically they're sitting in the column and uh, he, he emphasized that um, you know uh, the logistics is really important in the war and the Russians are just are not good at it. And uh, he said that really reminds him of uh, a lot of uh, what happened to Bosnia. So now let's turn to the, our second guest, Lieutenant Colonel Young Mabry. As I introduced him before, he, spent, uh, he served in the United U.S. Air Force for 28 years and uh, now returned to Arizona as a farmer, but uh, he is stepping out to run for Congress to represent the 6th District of Arizona. So in regards to the strategy of uh, Russian might just encircle Kiev to potentially block the West military aid to Ukraine, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry said, he replied this actually uh, to me in writing first, said he, the most effective strategy would be for the Russians to cut off what in the military they called the ground avenues of approach into Kiev. The avenues of approach would be the roads that enter Kiev. If the Russians cut off the ground avenues of approach, that would prevent the intended aid from reaching Kiev. However, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry does not think it would be practical for the Russians to totally surround Kiev. On the other hand, if Kiev was cut off like this, he thinks that the city would be under siege, captured. That would place Ukraine in a very difficult situation. However, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry said that the Ukrainians would establish another hub or city to conduct their defensive actions against the Russians. The other city or hub would likely be uh, further west in the country of uh, Ukraine. 
transportation aircraft would be used to deliver supplies into a city or area that Russia does not have the control. There would have to be some pretty good airfields to do that. He thinks that. So Lieutenant Colonel Mabry said he's not familiar with the infrastructures of Ukraine or what other cities could be used as a staging area to resupply their war efforts against Russia. As a military planner, he would look for such a resupply area rather than just surrender because the capital city was, uh, were to be captured. Doing this would suppose that uh, the Ukrainian leadership is still in act, um, intact and not killed or captured. So uh, in terms of uh, why the Ukraine, Ukraine Air Force has not attacked the uh, Russian column, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry said that appears that the, Russian have, the Russians have taken away Ukrainians' um, air superiority. So then I asked him which side appears to have the upper hand right now. I think the Russians clearly have the upper hand militarily. It appears to me that they denied the Ukrainians to gain air superiority which is, as you pointed out, that big long column of tanks and stuff going through their country and it's not being attacked at all by air. So the Russians have, have, have eliminated um, Ukrainian capability to defend themselves by air. So the Russians, they know they have good tactics and strategies to be able to do that kind of thing. <clears throat> They're a formidable military foe, but I really, it, it really appears to me that Putin has miscalculated his popularity in the world and in his own country is, is very, very damaged and very low. And I think he has miscalculated the will of the Ukrainians that they, like I say, Zelensky is not wanting a ride, he wants ammo. And the rest of the people in the country are of the same mind. So I uh, asked uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry to elaborate on how he sees the will of the people in Ukraine in this war. I was really encouraged. There were two um, members of parliament in the, in the Ukraine who pointed out that, that they're prepared. He, one guy, I don't, don't know his name, but was saying he knows that he's likely going to be a target um, for the Russians to kill. But he held up his AK-47 and he said, I'm ready for him. You know, and then I saw another member of parliament do the same thing. The point I'm making here is that Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainians have, have armed themselves such that if when the Russians come across, they're talking the civilians are ready to fight. And I'm encouraged to see that Ukraine is not willing to just run away but they're ready to fight and they're willing to fight and they they don't want to have another country necessarily come in and fight their wars for them. What they want is is the capability, the armaments, the, the ammunition. For example, I thought it was it was insightful when uh, Biden offered Zelensky a ride out, you know, to get away from 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 his country. And from what I understand, his comment was, I don't want to ride. I want ammo. In other words, he is going to stay there 
at the front of his country and fight to the end to defend his country. And the people that are making Molotov cocktails, they're doing whatever they can to defend their country. Now, my brother, you met him, Kathy. Remember my brother, Ralph? He, he lived in and served in Ukraine on a, on a medical-type mission uh, for a year and a half a few years ago. <clears throat> so he knows firsthand what the Ukrainians are like. And they have had, the Ukrainians have had all they can handle when it comes to Soviet-like dictator um, oppression. They're done with it. And they, they've been there, done that. They are not willing to do that again. And that seems to be the reason why they have they're they're so they're they're so strong in their willingness to to fight, lay down their lives if they have to, to defend their land, their families, and their freedoms. And I am really proud of the Ukrainians. We then the rest of the world community need to stand up and help them repel the Russian invasion. It appears too that I've seen on news reports that Russia that Putin is uh, is losing the informational battle. Like I say, there's the elements of power that a country has. One of them is informational power. And that is that Putin has um, put himself at odds with the world and the informational part of the elements of power of, of other countries is showing that Putin is losing face and he is, uh, is losing any kind of support that he might have had from any other countries by doing what he's done. It's not acceptable in the world community for him to do that. So in order to win the war, which is more important, military capability or will of the people? You got to have the will of the people. And I, and I think back and what I understand the, the people from Poland, you know, they, in World War II, you know, they attacked columns of tanks with their horses and stuff like that. They had the will to defend their country, but they didn't have the means to do it, and so they were obliterated. Um, with the will that the Ukrainians have and the equipment that uh, President Trump, uh, again, like I said, I believe it was sold probably through foreign military sales that sold to the Ukrainians um, years ago, they do have a degree of capability to defend themselves. But we can't, again, as a, as a world community, can't sit back and, and, and expect that, by analogy, that the Ukrainians are going to be able to fight off the Russian tanks with uh, horse cavalry. You see what I'm saying? I mean, they, we need to make sure that they have the armament to do it. So um, I asked uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry, where does he see the war is going? The fact that it is taking Russia that supposedly has such a superior military force so long to get from the border to Kiev, or Kiev, however you want to pronounce it, um, is indicative of the two things that we've talked about. Weakness in the Russian ability to you know, their logistics ability and strength of the of the Ukrainians to withstand an evasion. The longer it takes the Russians to if they're and it appears that their objective is to is to capture Kiev, the longer it takes for them to meet that objective, the the worse they're gonna look, the the more bad press
guess, if I could call it that, uh, negative information or negative attitude towards Russia, the less Putin will be, he is, he is in bad shape right now. His popularity levels are very low. And the longer it takes, and if he continues to do this kind of thing, his uh, popularity will continue to be eroded. And, and that's a good thing for, for the world community and also for Ukraine. He needs to realize that he's, he's made a huge blunder unacceptable and uh, again i would hope that the ukrainians continue to to show resistance and uh and and basically it would like to see putin leave with as we say with his tail between his legs and go back home and realize he can't do that kind of stuff again as it continues or if it continues i believe that the world community the united states being the world leader needs to step up and be strong and use those other elements of national power, economic sanctions. Um, again, I don't have a great deal of, of uh, faith in the United Nations these days, but the United Nations needs to step up as, you know, they were set up after World War II with the idea to to um, prevent a, the catastrophe that World War II was for the world and, and get people to the negotiating tables and, and, and realize that, in today's world, you simply just don't go invade a neighboring country just like, just because you can, like Russia did. So again, I think the, the world community, United States in particular, the European Union, and with the, with the capabilities of NATO, <clears throat> need to continue to exert uh, those other elements of national power against Russia to let them know that this is not an acceptable behavior. So what's the takeaway that uh, Lieutenant Colonel maybe would like to share with our audience? To understand the value of the right to keep and bear arms. You know, tyranny never goes away. And uh, we, we've got to understand in the foundation of our country that uh, our Revolutionary War was fought against the tyranny of the British crown back in those days. And that is the reason that we have our Bill of Rights, the 10 amendments of our constitution. And uh, the second amendment, as we know, and it is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep their arms shall not be infringed. The ultimate way that we defend ourselves is that we the people have the right to keep and bear arms and we're seeing how that plays out in real life in real time over in the ukraine the people apparently have the right or certainly they're exercising their right to bear arms again making you know although rudimentary they're using making molotov cocktails and all that kind of stuff the people we we have the unalienable right, the inherent right as human beings to be able to defend ourselves. We Americans have forgotten, it seems, sometimes, those who want to uh, uh, put on uh, gun control and those types of things. We have forgotten the reason that the Second Amendment and the First Amendment and the Fifth Amendment and the Fourth Amendment, all the first ten, were put in place is because we had lived under an oppressive regime, which was British Britain at that time. And so 
the right to keep and bear arms is 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 hardware is lead is the ability to defend ourselves and the other rights that that, are, that we have in our in our bill of rights um, and we're seeing that happen so that's that's one thing that i would like to emphasize i would also like to emphasize the extreme importance that americans and and the rest of the of the world community uh, needs to exercise our other elements of national power military is is you know to go in and be involved militarily is not what we want to do in the united states but we and and the european union and other countries around the world and use their elements of, of national power and provide armaments for the Ukrainians so that they can uh, fight their own war against the Russians. What do you think that would send a message to the Chinese communist government in terms of that? Oh, there you go. I mean, that's a good observation, and I, and I can appreciate where you are coming from with that. That is telling the, the Chinese government, uh, don't you go there trying to attack Taiwan you know that's that's clearly not acceptable and if the Europe and if the the world community doesn't stand up to the bully Russia then the bully Xi would be uh, encouraged and the likelihood of, of an invasion against Taiwan would be high on the other hand if the world community shows as it apparently is doing right now, that the acceptance of Russia's behavior is 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 not okay. Then I think she will recognize. Okay, I, I better not do that. So basically, by saying no to Russia, we're saying no to China for any expansionism that they might have on Taiwan or anywhere else. And finally, naturally, these kinds of things are going to cause a humanitarian problem in the Ukraine. There are going to be people who are displaced because homes are being destroyed, industries being destroyed, their ability to produce and, and transport foodstuffs, you know, to feed themselves and their families and those types of things are going to be disrupted and destroyed. So the world community needs to step up and make sure that the Ukrainians are supported, that there are, again, food, clothing, medical supplies, those types of things especially well for everybody but the non-combatants the families and that type of thing those types of things need to be um provided for in this situation and then you know again on the russian side hopefully that they don't get any of that kind of support and they basically turn around and leave so now today um intelligence report uh, proved that the chinese communist government requested uh, uh, Russia to delay the attack on the invasion of uh, Ukraine after the Winter Olympics. That's according to the um, New York Times, saying that uh, senior Chinese officials told senior Russian officials in early February not to invade Ukraine before the end of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. So, um, and uh, the Times said that uh, the intelligence report in indicated that senior Chinese officials had some levels of knowledge about Russia's plan to intentions or intentions 
to invade Ukraine before uh, Russian President Putin launched the operation last week. So uh, Reuters also confirmed uh, with a source saying that uh, the Chinese Communist government had made the request but declined to provide details. So obviously, um, but actually in the uh, in last week when we reported from the CPAC, I interviewed uh, one of the very the person whose name is Trevor Loudon. He is an um, uh, author and a filmmaker. Uh, who is also very familiar with the operations of uh, socialism, communism, Marxism. At that time, he already pointed out that uh, this effort by the Ukraine, Russian is uh, orchestrated, you know, between uh, Russia and communist China. So it's not surprising. And uh, so what do you think? How do you think of... Uh, uh, Colonel John Mills and Lieutenant Colonel Young may raise uh, um, analysis and observation. So leave your comments there. So let's see, I saw uh, quite a few comments here. And Patrick saying that um, perhaps the Russian soldiers do not believe in this mission. And uh, it's a perfect case study not to not allow Iran to and ever get uh, nukes and um, so Audrey said that uh, this war is corruption in the making this doesn't smell right there are other reasons for this war so yeah um, so Audrey if you you know maybe just uh, elaborate a little bit more what do you mean about other reasons in so that uh, our other audience could also look into that. And Patrick said, uh, great interviews. Thank you. So, yeah, and uh, we will, you know, have more analysis on this war. Actually, I'm going to have an interview with um, Professor, um, Professor Hansen tomorrow, uh, who is the um, expert in the military history in the Hoover Institution. So, yeah, I look forward to hear from uh, what Professor Hansen has to say about this war. So I'm sure you will be too. And uh, I think we will probably share with you about uh, Professor Hansen's um, um, perspective on our Friday's show. And um, so, again, yeah, today is supposed to be the last day of YouTube's um, censorship on our channel. But uh, really great that you are with us on this um, uh, free speech platform, Safe Chat. So really glad and really appreciate that. So please share our video with more of your friends, your circles, so that more people will be able to know the truth. And um, so I hate CCP saying that, uh, how does this war play into the Great Reset? Mm, yeah, I can ask this question to Professor Victor Hansen. That's right. If you have any questions or would like me to ask Professor Victor Hansen, please leave it in the comment area so that uh, uh, I will do my best to bring the question to him. Although our, my time with uh, Prof Professor Hansen's interview 
uh, might be limited, but um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to get answers for you. So please uh, leave the comments or the questions uh, for Professor Hansen. And um, uh, by the way, our second guest for today's uh, show, um, Lieutenant Colonel Yang Mabry, he is running for uh, Arizona House of Representatives. I had a more in-depth interview with him on why he, you know, um, stepped out to run for office. So I will share that with you uh, in the future, in the fu near future. So, all right, I think this is for today. Uh, that's, for, that's all for today. And uh, look forward to, you know, another show on Friday. So in the meantime, please uh, like in our show if you do think it's uh, helpful to you and also share the video. Okay, take care and uh, have a great night. Bye-bye.